whatever your feelings about what he ultimately did morally or ethically, I think the thing that's indisputable is, is that he acted on conscience and he acted out of a desire to do what he thought was the right thing. And to, to make, come to that decision at the age of, well, 18 and 19 is kind of remarkable. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a young American physicist shares classified nuclear secrets in director Steve James's historical documentary, A Compassionate Spy. Screened as part of the DGA's documentary series, the film tells the true story of 18-year-old physicist Ted Hall's recruitment into the Manhattan Project. In 1944, concerned about the U.S. having a monopoly on such a devastating weapon, Ted decides to divulge classified information about the world's first atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. In addition to A Compassionate Spy, James's other directorial credits include the feature film Prefontaine and the documentaries Life Itself and Head Games. He received the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Documentary for his 1994 film Hoop Dreams, and is a three-time nominee in the same category for the documentary features Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, At the Death House Door, which was co-directed with Peter Gilbert, and The Interrupters. Following the documentary series screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, James spoke with director Andy Timoner about filming A Compassionate Spy. Listen on for their conversation. So this is a Chicago story. Exactly. And you are a Chicago man. <laughs> it starts out in 1947 with these extraordinary reenactments. Um, tell me about shooting the reenactments and sort of how, I mean, that must have been something you thought about right at the start of taking on the project because you had to bring all this alive. Yeah, it it, it dawned on me. So it, this project began with going to spend three, four days with Joan and her daughters which, you know, is that footage is very much a part of the film. And because I, I had uh, with Mark Mitten, who's here, Mark, there's he's producer, producer. Um, Mark can applaud producers at the DGA. Absolutely. We well, okay. especially because Mark bankrolled this first shoot. So uh, see, <laughs> we love producers. Now you, bankroll. <laughs> now you get some innovation. Um, uh, so we went and, um, we spent several days with them and I, cause I had to figure out if I wanted to do this as a film or not. I, I was certainly fascinated with the story meeting Joan was just like, Oh my God. Um, you know, she's incredible. Yeah. But, but, but who brought you the idea or were you, it was actually, uh, the other producer is a guy who's not a film person named Dave Lindorf, who's a, an investigative journalist. And he had written a He'd written a piece about Ted that he had researched and wrote for Counterpunch magazine, which is a you know leftist periodical, and uh, and um, and Joan saw it and emailed him and thanked him for it, and he sort of struck up a bit of a relationship with her that way, and then he um, Dave was somebody again. Mark and I did this film together, this uh, Abacus uh, film. 
we had interviewed Dave for that film. So I was the only director and Mark was the only producer he knew (laughs) at all. So he reached out and said, I think there's a film here. So that's what led to this trip. But what was your attraction upon hearing so, it? So hearing it, I mean, I was like, wait, this guy was 18. And he went to Los Alamos. And by the time he was 19, he, what? What did he do? You know, so it was just this kind of remarkable story. And Dave said, you know, his wife is, uh, you know, kind of amazing. And so we went, we interviewed Joan. I wasn't sure when I went, I thought at best, this might be kind of a short of this woman talking about her husband. And what he did, right? That's what I was thinking in my mind. Then when I found out that um, she had this footage of him in her possession, then that's when I thought, oh, I think this is more than that. And then when I, to get back to your original question, (laughs) when I got back from that shoot, having heard her tell these stories so vividly, I thought, you know, and I, I knew and found out very soon, there's no way to... There's no archival to support any of that. You know, you know, a lot of times in archival films, people will fake it. They'll, they'll find stuff that looks kind of like it could be it. And then they kind of fake it, you know, there was be no way to do that with this. And so I just was like, I think we need to do some kind of reenactment recreations with this and it would be fun to do it. And, and it would be a way of showing them in their youth, you know, because she's this, she's sitting before me in the first interview as a 91 year old in the second interview, she's 93. You know, it's like, you want to see how vivacious and youthful and idealistic these folks were. hundred percent. And and so 91 and 93. So the process was sit down, get as much information as you could figure out what's there. What's the, there there. Then you went and shot all of this material and edited, and then you went back to her at the yeah, end. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so in the we we filmed her in 2019. Then COVID hit. So, but that was good in a way because then I could go back with what we shot in 2019 and start to rough out as an editor, which is something you and I both do. I could start to rough out kind of like what the story might be. And then in that interim period, we also identified who else we wanted to talk to. We tracked down Savi's family. Um, We decided with Dave's help what experts we wanted in it. And I wanted very few of them. You You only chose like three. There were the couple couple from Bombshell. Yeah. And then there was Axelrod. that piece of amazing footage of that guy, Sam Cohen or Sam. Yeah. But then there's Axelrod too, the guy that wrote the book. Axelrod was spoke yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I didn't want it. I, if I could have told it entirely through Joan and Ted, I would have, but I felt like. The I, bombshell people were, were very helpful. Yeah. I think yeah. I felt like you needed some expert outside commentary to give credence to Ted's views and what, why he did what he did. And so that you don't have to completely just take his word for it. Right. So, yeah. So in the interim between that first interview and the second with Joan, we did a lot, including shooting some of the um, some of the um, reenactment stuff, but not all of it. And then we shot the rest of it um, after that last interview. I love the University of Chicago stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's really like. It just brings you back to, I mean, it takes you out of this and it makes them human. 
and it grounds the whole story in a love story. Yeah. You know, we so called that, it our jewels and gems section. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I just love how Savi's like hanging on and how her narration really, you know, it, it's, and, and talking with my mom, you know, and people that age, that's what they have. They have their memories. Yeah. And I noticed she pulled out this book and it said selected poetry. Yeah. It was printed on the outside. Tell me about that. She just, she, she has this published works. She quotes an amazing poem at the end. Yeah. She, also. she, um, she, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's self-published, uh, but it's very small press, if not self-published, but you know, Joan was a creative person. She was an artist. She, she wrote poetry. She was very arts oriented. And, um, and when we got there, we had to read several poems. Um, and one of them is featured at the beginning where she talks about Ted first sort of meeting him and how beautiful he was. Um, and then the one at the end about when he died, she read, uh, a couple of others, um, that we didn't include in the film, but, but, you know, she was just kind of this remarkable person. And I love that she wrote these beautiful poems. I love that she, she, she I mean, in speaking with her and the way she describes them, you know, it was like frisky on the ground, but they were just so <laughs> innocent. And you say like, tell me about the first date. And she says, there was none. Yes. We just walked around. Like it just felt to me like, oh my God, this is the life of these young, young students. And it allowed his, us to feel that his decision was made from a place of innocence, that his choice to do something so incredibly impactful to the history of the world yeah. was made from a position of just like a kid who's kind of like, this doesn't feel right to me. Maybe I could do something to balance it out. You exactly. Know? Like, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my joke was, is that, you know, I mean, Ted went to Los Alamos when he was 18. By the time he was 19, he had decided to do what he did. When I was 19, I was probably at a party in college, drunk and slobbering. Um, Had and you picked up a camera yet? No, um, no, for sure not. But so, you know, he, he did this. And when I saw Oppenheimer, you know, which is it's this other film you may have heard it's of It's like, don't even worry about it. This is all you need to see. You know, we... That was actually my next question was about... Well, the thing actually. is, is like we announced our film, then he came along and announced his film. <laughs> and, you know, and then we we set a date for our release and then he tried to jump in front of us. I mean, yeah. the guy was trying to take it's advantage. It's Christopher Nolan. We understand. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Terrible. Um, but anyway, when I saw, when I saw Oppenheimer, in all sincerity, um, one of the things that really stuck you know, stood out was I'm watching this story and I'm realizing, you know, here's Oppenheimer who is in his forties and it's after the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki that he kind of has a crisis of conscience about what he's done. And here's Ted who is all of 18 and 19 at Los Alamos having that crisis of conscience about what he was involved in and making this momentous decision to do what he did. Now, whether you, think he should have done what he did or not and i'd love if some of you i don't know is this the thing where people ask we questions can, we can all talk like 60 style but we're gonna talk first yes yeah yeah but i mean them. whether whether you whether you support what he did or not and 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 i understand if you look at it and go because i hope the film gives you room to have your own opinion about that 
But whatever your feelings about what he ultimately did morally or ethically, I think the thing that's indisputable is, is that he acted on conscience and he acted out of a desire to do what he thought was the right thing. And to, to make, come to that decision at the age of, well, 18 and 19 is kind of remarkable. It is. And I really appreciate all the little nuances you put in there. You know, it's just those little deep, the devil is in the details, like meeting in the middle of the street to <laughs> trade secrets, you know, with his like 19 year old friend yeah, and leaves of grass, like <laughs> right. little bits of leaves of grass. Like, like, you know, yeah, it's like they watched some spy movies and they thought, well, maybe this is the way you do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I love this stanza here, you know, it's yeah. like, are you yeah. kidding me? And it's so nobody would suspect. Meanwhile, there's this Klaus guy who's like really trading the secrets. Um, and I, and I just thought it was really interesting that you put in that like Russia, of course, they were like, oh, we can verify this because we have this 18 year old kid who's sharing secrets and this major German scientist who's in a different department sharing secrets. Yeah. But um, I did feel like there was the space to make a decision. I, I, I was kind of like, I love films where the audience is the jury. Yeah. And I felt like you really did that. And, and, and I, you know, I, I looked at my wife, Morgan, and I was like, I don't know if that's like, when he says, you know, why did you make this decision? I guess compassion, you know? And I, I was thinking, I don't know. I don't understand that word for this right. decision. Right. What do you feel about that? Like, how did you feel as a filmmaker? And, you know, you don't, you don't really, you don't hit Ted too hard in this film. No, we don't, you don't criticize him too much. No. And, and, you know, and that's the film's been criticized for that. And, and I get that criticism. I guess the way I looked at it was, is that Ted was self-critical about some of the decisions he made. And you hear, you know, you hear that. And also Savi's son speaks up about that. So I, I didn't, I didn't put an expert in sort of railing against Ted, um, partly because I didn't want a bunch of experts, but partly because I wanted it to stay personal. And I felt like Ted did think about those things. And later in life, he did have doubts about what he had done when he found out when it was clear to him what Russia was under Stalin. And, and so I felt like that's in there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think what I always came back to is, is that I think the compassion for him was, as he says, it was for the Soviet people. It wasn't for the Soviet government and that he really worried, you know, you have to remember it's like his family was from Russia. Um, so was Jones. And so there was a connection to that country, to that homeland that goes deeper than, you know, just anyone, um, because that was there where he came from. And uh, I mean, he wasn't born in Russia, but his parents came from Russia. And and so, you know, I think that he he looked at this situation and he imagined where it might lead. And I think one of the one of the points of the film is to show that whatever you think of what he did, his reasoning was not out of left field. You know, he was left wing, but his reasoning was not out of left field because the U S did drop the bomb for, I think, very questionable reasons. I really appreciate that history lesson. And, and, and the U S did game plan, a preemptive strike on the Soviet Union. And the U.S. did throw its weight around in the post-war world because it had the bomb. 
And so, you know, and, and there was a lot of discussion going on at Los Alamos among the scientists about the, the ethics and moral morality of what they were doing. And Ted was listening to that and participating in that, but it never, you know, and that's why they wrote that letter to Truman to try and get him to just do a demonstration blast for the Japanese instead of drop going forward with dropping it. So this was all in the air. It's just Ted in the impetuousness of youth, you know, unlike most of these other scientists at Los Alamos, many of whom were famous and well-established, he just decided, fuck it. I got it. nothing to lose. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you, uh, you know, as a filmmaker, as a human, did you, and as an editor, did you start to feel yourself and relate to yourself in this story? Cause I just feel like knowing you a little bit that I do, and I'm blessed to know you and Judy and she was a peace activist and you, you know, I really love how you just kind of told Joan's story evenly yeah. and from her perspective as someone who had to give up a lot of what she was very passionate about and a lot of her social life and her everything, like, everything that she thought her life would be at that time kind of had to be clipped by this decision. Were you seeing yourself like possibly decades earlier? Like it feels very personal. <laughs> um, like, boy, I wish I could say are you a potential spy. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm not, neither a potential spy nor am I a sensitive husband, I think. Um, no, um, no, but I, I think that um, it was always important to me I I said to Mark and to Dave when we left at the first, it's like, Joan is central to this story, and this is a love story. And um, it's an espionage story, but it's a love story. And I always felt like Joan is just as important to this story as Ted, even though Ted's the one that did this major act. But in terms of our film, she's just as important to our story, which was why it was important that you learn those things about Joan, that you learn that what she had to give up, that you learn the ways in which she saved Ted from himself so often, um, you know, when he wanted to confess and she was like, no, you're not going to do that. I mean, Ted had some misgivings about all that he did. Joan never did. She, she remained firm in her conviction. And I love that about her. Well, she, she definitely remained firm in the conviction that, there would be no good to be gained by that, that their well, family and, would not fare well. And, and her, and, and looking her, at the Rosenberg, I mean, that part yeah, of the film and, is and, so harrowing and so incredibly done. Yeah. And her pride though, that, and what he did, like she never, like, even though Ted came to doubt and Joan had her own misgivings about what the Stalinist Russia and all that for sure, but she never doubted what Ted did. Right. She never she always remained firm to this to the day she died. She died a few months ago that, yeah, that she she believed in what he did. And um, and it's interesting because, you know, she's she's a very incredibly passionate person and brilliant person. Yeah, I, 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 um, I loved her poem, the poem that she shared after he died. And I loved yeah. what he said about being, you know, diagnosed with Parkinson's and losing Debbie, his middle child so recently. And life is still so amazing. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, there's something about, it's really two films in one in a way, because there is just this magic of their perspective on the world, even the tree. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we're so used to seeing, um, you know, spy movies or spy TV shows. I mean, I really liked the series, The Americans, right? You know, and this, I would think about that from time to time when we were making this, but um, even though it's not a, a, it's, it's a bit of an apples and oranges, but, but we're so used to the intrigue of spy movies and TV and all that. And these were kind of like two incredibly sort of grounded, humble people. You know, Ted was incredibly humble for as brilliant as he was. Right. And they raised a family and they did their best to insulate their family, their kids from what he had done and to make sure that they had a normal life, as normal a life as they could. And you see, a bit with Sabi's family, we didn't have nearly the the. It was a disaster. Know, that it was so, it much, seems like it was very painful. It was very them. painful for them, right? And so, they, you know, I loved in some ways, like it was also kind of like the anti-spy story, like when, you know, when Ted stopped spying for the Soviets because he had done what he wanted to do. They didn't have him killed, right? You know, <laughs> they didn't go, no, you must keep spying or we will kill you. You know, yeah. no, no, they, they basically said, thank you. Yeah. And let him go. <laughs> yeah. That was incredible. Also, just the, the way he walked out of that meeting, FBI. the way you filmed that. I mean, did you, did you, had you ever filmed, excuse my ignorance if you've done a million scripted films, but have you done a lot of these kinds of scripted reenactments before? No, I, I did a, I did a, um, I did a, uh, a classic film, uh, Andy that you need to go see. Um, Casablanca. Yeah. <laughs> Days of heavens. One of my films. Um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> badlands, uh, did you think about Mel's advice and like throw the cigarettes far into the room? <laughs> exactly. Make the actors exactly. run <laughs> with the blocking. <laughs> no, I did. I did uh, one small feature film called Prefontaine about the runner Steve Prefontaine many years ago, okay. and then I did a couple of cable TV movies. Um, and I was, you know, they were always sports related because of Hoop Dreams. And at one point, I was complaining about that, and uh, the DP for two of those films was the great Bill Butler, um, who, who passed away just recently. I think he was like a hundred. Um, and I, I was complaining one day about being pigeonholed with sports films and he goes, Oh, stop your complaining. You realize how many people want to be pigeonholed out here? <laughs> <laughs> just pigeonhole me, please. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. Give me anything. Think of me for something. Please. <laughs> I'll be that guy. <laughs> yeah. So I stopped <laughs> complaining about that. But um, so now you're the atom bomb guy. How yeah. Do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm the radical Marxist. If you need uh, a love story about an atom bomb, that's I'm, your the, guy. Guy. I'm the, guy. the guy. I'm the guy. Yeah. Um, so Oppenheimer, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, besides Chris Nolan stealing your thunder, like aside from that resentment, like what, what, <laughs> no, but, but how did it, how did that line up or like, what weird timing. Yeah. Well, when like, we, I was so confused by all of it. When right? we started this film, I remember thinking, will anybody want to see this story? Of course. Right. I mean, it's because perfect for you, because the, exactly. I, I make a specialty of doing films that I have questions about whether anyone will want to see them. You're right. And, and, um, and a lot of times they don't. So I'm very successful with that, but, but, um, but, you know, 
the whole idea of nuclear war has receded in had when we started this had totally receded in the public mind right we were we were going to destroy ourselves with climate change now we, we don't you know nuclear bombs we're not going to do that we're going to do it with climate change or maybe now we'll do it with ai but you know it's like nuclear war now so i remember thinking like will anybody even care about this story i mean i think it's a great story but it's is it are people just going to look at it like as a curiosity if they watch it at all but then you know partway through making it christopher nolan announced he was doing the oppenheimer story and we thought oh well that might help you know that might help and then the Soviet Union invaded Ukraine and threatened nuclear uh, battlefield nuclear weapons. And we thought, yes, no, we did not think. <laughs> no, we did not think. That. Um, we but, you know, it's sort of like it is back. And the truth is, is it's even going to be back even bigger because, you know, if you if you read the, the papers, uh, you may know that that China is now deciding to enter the arms race. Um, they are they are massively building up uh, nuclear weapons. Up until recently, China had something like six nuclear warheads. They kind of wisely decided they didn't need many of them and they didn't want to engage in that and spend their money on that. But now they've decided that they need to, if they're going to be able to compete with the United States, especially that they've got to be a full on nuclear power. I just don't understand. Can you help me understand? Because you've talked to all these nuclear experts and Ted starts crying at the end of the film about the risk, the the great danger that we live in with militarism. What is the point of having so many that we would blow the world up a thousand times over? Like, what is that? Is it just literally just dick swinging? Well, kind of. I, well, there's there's that. Know, I don't understand. I think dick swinging but, is a good um, good answer for part of it. I think part of it is also the march of new technology and new weapon systems and feeling like you, you know, it's a, it's a David Axelrod who we interviewed in the film talk calls. It's not in the film, but he calls it the ladder, which is that you keep moving up the ladder of technology of nuclear war, you know, like that's where um, star Wars space stuff comes. That's why we have the space, you know, team now or whatever they're called uh, that, 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 um, Trump um, blessed. And, and so, so there's that that contributes to it. But there's also, and which I didn't know going into this film at all and learned from this film. And, and I, one of, to me, one of, one of my favorite aspects of the film from a historical standpoint is when you learn that so many of the key advisors <clears throat> to Truman were ex-Wall Street guys. Um, and, and so, you know, capitalism does enter into this. Well, that's what uh, I thought, but is, I mean, you know, because the, I mean, the, 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 it is so immensely wealthy, you know, uh, wealth inducing to have a huge military industrial complex. But I don't understand that. Like nuclear weapons, it's not like you can buy them and sell them. It's not like solar. No, but they cost so much to make and all this delivery systems. I mean, they- Great. So you're going broke on building things that you're never going to use. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, I, I'm sure it makes sense, but I just don't understand. Well, does, does capitalism make sense to you really? 
I mean, it makes it sense. I don't like it, it but it makes, I mean, I don't yeah. like a lot of aspects of it, but it makes sense. Yeah. Right. Like supply, yeah. demand, all that kind of thing. That makes sense. Right. This right. is like a new, like, well, okay, we I'm going to build up I mean, the, 100 the, of these that I'm never going to drop on anything. Right. But the truth, here. one thing that has happened is the number of stockpiles of nuclear weapons has gone down in recent years. So there's fewer weapons out there, but there's still, the U.S. still has like 10,000. We're just so, like destroying them quietly. Well, they're, them. they're just taking them out of, out of, yeah, commission or whatever. Putting them to bed. Yeah. So there's fewer weapons, but it's still serious overkill. But now and, we're going to like. Now we're, and now we're moving into next phase. We'll build them up because China's going to build them. So we're well, we are, we, we, China's building them because we've been building them. And, you know, the, it's just the march of technology. I mean, you know, we're about to enter the. We're, we're about to enter the space of AI in in military warfare, where you know the 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 Air Force is already developed. They're testing, so this isn't just something they're developing. They they are testing drone aircraft that accompany fighter pilots into battle, and the idea is is that they will be able to do things that fighter pilots can't do, and they're also more um, willing to sacrifice them to battle. So that they can go in advance, and and if we lose some drone aircraft, then that's better than losing the one with the actual pilot in it. So, I mean, this is the shit that's going on. So, what what do you think Ted would say? What would you ask Ted? Well, Ted, I mean, that's why at the end of the film, I I love that quote when I came across it in the editing, where where the guy asks him, "What would you have to say to a new generation?" and and he basically says we cannot leave these decisions up to people in power to make these, you know, we, we cannot do that. And I love that because when I saw that, I was thinking climate change. I was thinking, yeah, but it applies to so many things, right? Um, it applies to so many things about the way in which our lives are, are run. Unfortunately, it Unfortunately. does come down to people in power. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I, um, I think that's what, why the film, even if you are, you know, not so worried about nuclear bombs killing you, which I hope you're not, but if, if you're not, there's so many other things out there to kill you. I think that that's why, <laughs> that's what makes the film have resonance really more than anything is not the threat of nuclear war. It's the, it's the threat of powerlessness. It's the threat of actually expressing what what you really feel or think or, you know, people, the crowd. I mean, again, back to Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. Like, yeah. I mean, that was chilling when they're driving by Sing Sing. Yeah. And they realize it could be them and it could have been them. It could have been them. It's so easily. And they would have been executed. And probably Joan would have been executed too. And the way you held because, on that coffin shot yeah. of the two of them just lying there, just dead for no reason, really, yeah. no warranted reason. But what were you going to say about you? Well, I was just going to say, you know, Ethel Rosenberg was executed mainly because she, she knew what Julius had done. And didn't say, or, and, didn't, and, 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 held, and, and stayed loyal. And stayed loyal. And so I, I think it's very possible that if they had gotten what they needed to really convict Ted, they probably would have uh, executed both him and Joan, even though Joan wasn't even there when he did it. No, he didn't. She didn't know him, but she she enabled him. 
right. all those years. Right, right. She I mean, I wouldn't made be surprised. a family with this man. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have executed her too. I mean, they may not have, but when Klaus Fuchs, they did the same thing to Klaus Fuchs that they did to the Ted, interrogation and all. Interrogation to try to get him to, to give, yeah. and, and he broke. This, it was British intelligence, and he ended up spending 14 years in prison as a result of that. So Ted got off. Totally. Ted got off because he never spoke and they and they the Bonona documents were not admissible in court and they really needed something more incriminating than those documents in order to really nail him. And you know, Ted's brother was part of that equation too. And, that was awesome, the phone thing. And, I mean, well, and just the fact that he was their primary missile designer. I mean, he <laughs> That's the kind of thing, if you see the Hollywood version of this and you put that in there, people would be like, oh, come on. Are you doing that? Is that what's next? Well, I, I, I don't, yeah, I think we should do it. I think we you? should do it. Yeah, yeah. We should have Kirby, Kirby we'll direct it and we'll yeah. edit it. Kirby Dick's here. Kirby or, Dick is right there. Yes. Um, okay, I want to open this up. <laughs> we have five minutes left and uh, this is time time for the forum. Uh, plan or thought about was it that the Russians would be that there would be no war because they both would stand off from each other, which is what did finally happen. You know, they both had the bombs. Yeah. Was that the idea or that the Russians would win the war? You forget. I mean, we don't forget that he's very left, very pro-Russian. They yeah. No, he, d he did not want the Soviet Union to drop a bomb on the U.S. He didn't want to do no, that. No, no, no. He, he wanted what essentially became the Cold War, um, uh -huh. um, which was, and, and mad, mutually assured destruction. That he, he you know, the, th the thing that Oppenheimer was naive about was is that he thought that even though the U.S. had this bomb to themselves, that we would exercise a kind of discretion and not, and once the war was won, we would sort of put it away and, I mean, that was incredibly naive, right? Um, and Ted knew that that wasn't going to be the case. Um, you know, he was 19, but he knew that once the U.S. had this bomb, um, that it would become huge leverage for them in the post-war world, mm -hmm. which they had. I mean, I only use one example in the film from the, the threat uh, against Soviet unions when they were... Um, on the border of Iran, but there were other threats. Um, the U.S. The U.S. used the threat of nuclear bombs on several occasions in the post-war world before the Soviet Union got the bomb, and um, and you know you have to think about being a country threatened with that by the U.S. that had dropped two of them on Japan. I don't think you would necessarily think they're bluffing, right? Um, so I think that no Ted. Ted wanted a, a kind of detente, uh, you know, more than anything. And he, felt like that, big, that, he felt like that was the way to ensure it. And, you know, there was what Ted did and others, it wasn't just Ted, but what Ted did and others is, is that he, he helped the Soviet Union get the bomb five years earlier than people thought they, the CIA thought they would get it otherwise. It wasn't ever a question of will the Soviet Union get the bomb. They had many smart scientists there. They were going to get the bomb. It's the question was only when, and in that period of time, what might the U.S. do? Well, you know, it's it's been shown historically that the U.S. was certainly seriously game planning. 
They were building up an arsenal of nuclear weapons, and they were game planning on how they might preemptively strike the Soviet Union. Now, whether they would have done it, no one can know, right? We, because the Soviet Union got the bomb quicker than they were prepared to do anything if they were going to do it. They didn't have enough bombs five years in to do what they felt like. You know, the, the, you see that document. They, they felt like they needed 100 atomic bombs <laughs> to drop on the Soviet Union. I mean, my God. Well, th 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 thank you. The only mm -hmm. uh, Quickly, one last thing I was going to say is that uh, the family that we're involved with has been involved with the same things with spying. Mm -hmm. And I can only tell you that the film is, is very shaky in terms of, you know, tells how, how nervous everybody was and how frightened they were. The actual atmosphere of being in a family like that is much more, uh, much more than you dramatized in the film. Well, I think that was true of Savi's family, which we, we try to get at. But I think the truth is, is that in Ted's family, it was it was not. And that was part of what distinguished that's that. Very, yeah, it's hard, uh, but it's hard to understand. That. Well, it, it is hard to understand. But I pressed I pressed um, Joan quite a bit on that. And it's not like she didn't feel it, but they were they kept it very internal and they did not share it with their family. I mean. The only reason the family found their daughters found out about it was because it was going to become public knowledge. And so that's when they informed them. They didn't, you know, whereas Savi told his daughter when she was 12. Right. Um, so I think, you know, you see at the end of the film that Sarah, one of the daughters, felt something but could never articulate right. what it was. Right. That's it. Yeah. And, and I think that's the truth of that family. It wasn't, I think we're so used to, uh, I think it's both true in real life of families in those situations. It's also a convention of drama that it would be completely torturous. And the truth is they, they found a way to have a stable family life despite it all. Um, which is remarkable, but it is, I think, the truth. It's, it, it's, it's remarkable, except that the FBI would not have let them off the, would, would have been around always. They and were. They and, were. And the fact that they didn't, the children would be highly affected by that in one form or another. They didn't. They, do they show some of that. They didn't. All I can say, sir, is they didn't notice it. They were, they were too young to, mm -hmm. to have noticed it, but Ted and, Ted and Joan certainly noticed it. The film, to me, had a big question of morality. And the morality seems to change a lot during the there, film. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. I'm wondering if you thought about that and what you thought about that. The morality, meaning that once they... The moral question of, of giving information, the morality of working on something that you know is going to devastate mankind. Right. There's a lot of questions of morality. Absolutely. So I'd like to know what your thoughts were about that and how that informed yeah. your filmmaking. So with, I think with Ted, you know, he talks about in the film that when he first went off to work at Los Alamos, that it was exhilarating. And I think that that was true for a lot of the scientists 
who went to Los Alamos. It was exhilarating. And it, and they also felt uh, um, uh, ethically and morally justified because there was this fear that Germany was working on the bomb and that if the Germans got the bomb first, that it would be a utter catastrophe for the world. So, and, and a lot of the scientists at Los Alamos, not all of them, but I mean, there were a lot of scientists there, but there were a lot of Jewish scientists at Los Alamos, including Ted. And so they also felt a, a special duty given Nazi Germany to work on this. But it's also true that not just Ted, but once they had been there for a while, once they, once it became clear that Nazi Germany was not either building the bomb or certainly wasn't going to build the bomb before the U S and it became clear at a certain point that they weren't even, they were way behind if they were even pursuing it. Then a lot of scientists, including young Ted really started to have real moral qualms about what they were doing, which is why at a certain point, 70 or so of them signed that letter to Truman saying, please don't drop this bomb on Japan. Can we do a demonstration blast in the desert? Just show them what we can do. Please don't drop that bomb. There was a lot of, so there was a lot of, you know, you're right. There was a lot of shifting morality around this. And, and, and as the reality of the situation became more clear, and and the degree to which this ultimately was not the building of this bomb was less about Japan and more about the Soviet Union, who were our allies. And there was some real conflicted feelings about that. I mean, one of the things most Americans are unaware of, at least I was growing up, and I think it's true of many of us, is the degree to which the Soviet Union helped win World War II. We have this perception in America that after Pearl Harbor and we entered the war, it was U.S. to the rescue. And we, we, we took care of the Germans and the Japanese. Thank you, world. You want to thank us? Thank us. We would not have won this war without the Soviet Union. We would not have won it. That is an indisputable fact. They lost 20 million people in that war. We lost 500,000 soldiers. Um, there's no comparison. So... You know, and Ted's family was from Russia and Sabi's family was from Russia. So, you know, there were a lot of complexities here that went into his thinking about what he was going to do and what he was not going to do. And he was a very left wing guy and he worried about the U.S. political class and what could happen in the post-war world. That if, you know, there's a lot of speculation about if, if Roosevelt hadn't died, would we have dropped the bomb on Japan? There's speculation about that because Roosevelt was not Truman. And there's there's some people think that if Roosevelt hadn't died, we might have actually done a demonstration blast in the, in the desert instead of dropping the bombs on Japan. But that Truman was bound and determined to do it. Absolutely. Including, it, it, and you're right, and that's when Ted and Joan had misgivings, especially Ted. He says in the film, if I had known, or through Joan, he says, if I had known then what I knew later, I don't know that I would have had the stomach to pass those secrets to the Soviets. And, and so I understand that. But that's, I think the way he sort of reconciled all that, which he talks about in the film, 
is to say that he did this for the Soviet people, not for the Soviet government. Because who would have died if the U.S. had engaged in a preemptive strike on the Soviet Union? Well, yeah, leaders would have possibly died, but uh, millions of Russians would have died. And that's ultimately how he reconciled those choices that he made. But yeah, there was a lot of naivete about Stalin. But as Joan says, there was also a lot of propaganda about Russia that was completely false. And it was hard to know what to believe and not to believe. And there was also this, in you know, which we get at in the film, which films like Mission from Moscow, there was all this pro-Soviet propaganda, which was designed to make the American people like the Soviet Union because they were our ally. Um, you know, you go back to 1919, the Red Scare, we hated the Soviet Union. But by the time World War II rolled around, the U.S. government needed the American people to be supportive of the Soviet Union because they were a treasured ally. And that's why, and Roosevelt knew that. So, you know, Frank Capra made two, um, two pro-Soviet um, movies during that time. I mean, I almost used one of them, but I showed some restraint. Just a little. Bit. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I wait. I'm so sorry, but I'm getting. I, I as the moderator here, I have to wrap this up, unfortunately. And I know there's a very ardent uh, question over here as well yeah. for you. Yes, but we'll have to take this whole well, is this, is this last one ethical debate. Uh, oh, it's, no, it's, we're stopping. Yeah, we're like five minutes past. Oh, okay. wrap. Right. Yeah. We've like, I've gotten the please rap sign like seven oh, times, okay. but we're deep in a debate and yeah, I think we great. should take it out to it. the atrium. I love it. And I want to thank you for making such an open-ended, you know, a film yeah. that has everybody engaging to this level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no I'm, surprise. I, and I love for all that. your films. Yeah. Um, and thank you for coming, Steve. <laughs> thank you. Andy. It's been a real pleasure. It's always having a pleasure you here. with you. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 